1: Welcome back. And yes, it is. As we head into our two on this Thursday, June 17th, it is a delight, honor and privilege to welcome perhaps one of the uh, world's, if not um, uh, greatest public intellectuals or certainly most uh, intriguing and controversial at times. And that is Dr. Charles Murray. He is the Hayek Emeritus Scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and author of a brand new book, Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. Dr. Murray, welcome to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Seth,
2: it's good to talk to you again. It's been years and
1: years. It's been way too long, and it's delightful to have you, and congratulations on the book. You don't, um, never have uh, gone after small issues here, (laughs) Dr. Murray. Two Truths About Race in America. There's a lot of talk about race in America. What are your two truths?
2: Well, the two truths are ones that we have to take into account when we're deciding whether we're a racist society or not, and I will just state them baldly and then put in a few caveats. First one, Latinos, blacks, whites, and Asians have different mean levels of cognitive ability. Second one, whites, blacks, Latinos, and Asians have different rates of violent crime. Uh, the thing that you always have to start out with, uh, after you make a statement like that, because it gets misunderstood all the time, a difference in means doesn't mean that people are sorted into two separate bins. Uh, if you want to talk about IQ, millions of blacks are smarter than billions of whites. You have what we call in the statistics business overlapping distributions. The differences in means don't make much difference at all a person is because of the color of the skin. You can't tell whether a person is going to be violent by their color of the skin. You have virtually no useful information. But when you're talking about law positions, of which the IQ range is about 135 to 150 in some of the high-tech industries, and the numbers of people going through the educational pipeline who come out at the end eligible for those kinds of positions is way too small to fill the demand when it comes to the, to the, the black component of that population, whereas the Asian component is quite large. This is not racism that we're looking at or of it racism, it's a very minor element. It's it's reality. And, and to say that this indicates systemic racism is just plain, flat-out wrong.
1: We're talking to Dr. Charles Murray, his brand-new book Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. Charles, I want to, if I may, Charles, I want to come back to that very point you just made in a half a second, but first I want to kind of step back um, and ask you this. Did you think five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you'd be writing a book about racialism in America in 2021. In other words, are we not much yeah. more re-racialized than we ever have been in our lifetimes?
2: It's much worse. Much it's, worse. Uh, but look, I, I wrote this book because I, I felt happy. I've never had such a strong feeling that if I didn't do it, I was being derelict in my duty. Yeah. Um, because of the situation we're facing right now compared to 20 years ago is one where black public intellectuals, too many of them, are agreed that whites are the problem, that it's white privilege, that it's the irredeemably racist nature of whites that's the problem. The mainstream media has bought it lock, stock, and barrel, Uh, and it's out there as the given narrative. That whites are evil, and that's why there's a difference in outcomes between blacks and whites. Cops are racist, so that's why you have more problems with policing and black neighborhoods than you have in white neighborhoods. Uh, yes, uh, I never dreamed I would be doing this. I thought, actually, with hindsight, that the years leading up to Barack Obama's uh, election were, were, things were going really well. The most admired woman in America was a black woman, Oprah Winfrey,
1: and a billionaire.
2: Uh, the, yeah. yeah, you had uh, you had blacks in very visible, high prestige positions in the media uh, and in a variety of other universities. And there was a sense—I had the sense—that we were kind of over the hump. So no, I've been very surprised to be in the situation.
1: Let me um let me go back. Thank you. I I just had to I I ask anyone who's writing or thinking or talking about race these days, I Charles, I just have to ask because I my I'm still slack-jawed at the place we're in. I'm slack-jawed at the arguments the BLM and the woke movements have taken on. I thought they were long ago buried and and so someone like yourself was someone I was champing at the bit to ask that question of. But let me go back to the two truths about race in America. The first one uh you mention of course is um is Well, I'll just quote you, and I think it's important that we quote you directly. You are the subject of a lot of uh, defamation by dint of not quoting you directly. So (laughs) we won't do that here. Uh, The first truth is, as you said, that American whites, blacks, Latinos, and Asians as groups have different means and distributions of cognitive ability. Charles, even as groups, though, my question to you obtains, can we even say this anymore when we talk about – and I know there's no precise way to say it, but uh, the way you use it is the way I use it, the word blacks. I mean, that is not its own group anymore, is it?
2: I'm sorry, blacks not its own Blacks,
1: group. I'm sorry, the way you and I talk, yeah. what others may say, African-Americans, blacks, African-Americans, yeah, well, it's, whatever you want to
2: call. No, it's, it, it's okay to do that because uh, the fact is, if you want to talk about the self-identification, which is how usually people are classified by race, uh, there's not ambiguity in that. There's very small proportions of blacks who say that they are mixed race when the Census Bureau gives them the opportunity to say, Well, no, I'm more than one race so that Barack Obama, for example, could answer that question, say black and white, you know, equally. But very few do that. But
1: there are differences, uh, right? I mean, for example, uh, in this sense, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but for example, in the sense of Nigerians or Ghanaians, they when you look at their successes in America, it is different from other groups, is it not?
2: Yes, it is. And and that's true, actually. I would like to have separate measures for Nigerians and Ghanaians. I would like to have uh separate measures for blacks who have remained in the rural south or conditions remain... Uh, the most uh, impoverished and most difficult for them. And similarly, for Latinos, the the results for uh, European Latinos, well, you know, the ancestry is predominantly European, may well be different from those who are indigenous tribes, and those may be different from mestizos. Uh, even uh, among uh, uh, whites, uh, you could, well, the, the obvious example is Ashkenazi Jews. Right. Classified. Uh, Self identified as white, everybody thinks of them as white. They are white by any ordinary common sense of that term. They have the IQ that's maybe 10, 12 points above the national average. Asian, same story. So yes.
1: That's an interesting you point. Don't, don't so if you're to, gonna yeah, if you're gonna disaggregate that data, there's other data to disaggregate too. That's a fair yeah,
2: point. Yeah, sure. Uh, it doesn't really have much effect on the analyses in the book. I I keep the analyses in the book down to some bedrock stuff. That is not really
1: controversial. You promise. We're talking to Charles Murray, his book "Facing Reality: Two Truths About Race in America," just out. You promise in the opening that you can read the book in a night. I did. Uh, It's. I I want to attest to that, uh, folks. If you want. To be really smart, really quickly. This is your book on issues of race in America, Charles Murray's Facing Reality. Charles, by the way, uh, what is your time constraint? I I can, I have more questions, but I want to be respectful of your time. I've
2: got got time with you.
1: Yeah, I'm going to head to a break in a minute, and I'll pick up on the other side of the break if I can. But can I ask you to answer this question, which naturally arises when we're talking about? I think it naturally arises when we're talking about cognitive abilities. Uh, in different groups, what is it in Nigerians and Ghanians that has them can you can you can you respond to that on the other side of this commercial break you're trying to get me in trouble I am <laughs>
2: <laughs> the, there's uh, no
1: point to you being charles murray and me having you on the radio show if one of us isn't going to get an fcc complaint or kicked off a college campus charles
2: okay the short answer <laughs> is... let me do it on
1: the other side of the break i'll let you follow all right i'm seth leapson he's charles murray the book is facing reality two truths about race in america and if we haven't gotten into trouble yet he promises we will on the other side of this break that's a pretty good tease we'll be right back He is one of the most important public intellectuals and social scientists in our country. He has moved mountains with his works in areas from welfare to education and beyond. His newest book is Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. He is Dr. Charles Murray, and uh, we were just talking, Charles, you break out the races the way most of us, I think, uh, do as well. Uh, American whites, blacks, Latinos, and Asians as groups primarily. And my question to you is: In one of the groups that we spend a lot of time thinking about, blacks, why is there such a difference in outcome and achievement amongst some of those subpopulations? Particularly, I'm thinking of Nigerians and Barbadians and Ghanians. What is it that explains their success in America? Which I think, I think, I think you'll know better. Trump's a lot of white groups in America.
2: Uh, I, I don't know if we can go that far, but it's certainly uh, remarkable. Okay. And look, the explanations, as far as I know, have not been found. The obvious hypotheses are that we got a self-selection factor working uh, that we draw from Nigeria some of their their very brightest uh, people. That's true, by the way. A uh, sub self-selection factor in a lot of the immigration that goes on. In the United States, but we don't know that that's all because, in other respects, in Africa, the Nigerians uh, economically and so forth stand apart from many other African countries. The, the question, of course, that uh, is the hot button question is is it genetic? Right. Well, in, in one sense, it doesn't look that way because uh, a lot has been done in, with the genotypes of different peoples from Africa, among others. There's good data on the Yor- Yoruba tribe, which is Nigerian, and on a sample of American blacks drawn from the southwestern United States. And there's really uh, extremely high similarity genetically between those two groups. So I I've almost gave you the short answer before we went to the break because it's going I'm going to give you now. Yeah. beats the hell out of me! <laughs> but... it's, it's the kind of thing that we should we should look into. Uh, we should look into it with curiosity rather than dread. And that's the same with
1: all ethnic differences. Well, I wonder, too, though, thank you for that, But and, and that's super, super super, candid, but I also wonder, too, if it doesn't collide with thoughts you've had over the years written about and maybe have become more or less chary about having to do with education and the and, and the way education can change some of these dynamics. You're a little well, more skeptical about that over time, is that fair to say, or not so much?
2: No, on the contrary, okay. Seth. Uh, we have never seen such a concentrated, almost fanatic effort to raise test scores among minorities than No Child Left Behind. Right. I had children in the public schools during the years, the first years of it, and I want to tell you, schools were convulsed yeah. with the effort to raise test scores. Right. It didn't happen. Right. Uh, if 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 even small changes are, are so hard to achieve. With such a massive effort as that, now I haven't softened my position on the limited role that education can play. However, <laughs> uh, if the question is, can education be improved for people at every cognitive level? Of course it can. Okay. And there's one difference between Nigerians uh, in Nigeria and American blacks, and that is a lot of Nigerians in Nigeria are getting the English system, the English curriculum. Uh, by England, but I mean the one from uh, Britain, which uh, I, I know well because I have daughters, uh, uh, grandchildren living overseas who are taking the British curriculum. it is so much more rigorous, so much better than anything in the American public schools. It's quite possible that the people with the same level of talent uh, in Nigeria and in the United States end up educationally
1: at, uh, at much different moments. Thank you, Charles. We're talking to Charles Murray, his brand new book, Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. Let me shift to the other truth for just a moment, if I could, uh, Charles. And that has to do with that involving violent crime. Um, we've seen the studies. You put, you, you put some great studies in your book, um, in, including some new ones I hadn't or some ones I had not seen before. Uh, say a word or two about crime. If you could... If you could have the president, um, if you could have had, let me try it this way. If you could have had Barack Obama say the right things about crime in America, what would you have had him say?
2: Well, I guess I can't respond directly to that. Let me say. All right. I
1: I won't answer that question, Seth, but I'll answer.
2: Uh, (laughs) uh, Point number one is there is nobody who suffers from crime more than hard-working, honest parents in, in the black inner city. They are put in, a, in an impossible situation. As soon as people can get money, they move away from those neighborhoods, largely because they want to get their children out of those neighborhoods. And so I would say we have a first responsibility before anything else, and that is to provide policing which, which keeps these neighborhoods as safe as possible. It it should be professional policing, meaning that violence is resorted to uh, only in response to other violence and then under controlled condition. But that's the training police get. And here's where I think the police have taken a terrible, unjustified beating. We have had some videotaped examples of police criminality. They are real. They happened. They deserve the severest punishment. Every day in America, there are tens of thousands of body cameras that never are seen by anybody which show cops being restrained in the face of obscenities being shouted at them, uh, taking extra steps to avoid hurting a suspect that they're trying to subdue, showing all kinds of restraint and taking risks in doing so. That's the norm of police behavior, which we never see. And that's the kind of thing that we want from the police. We, there is too much crime in the inner city. The answer is not uh, less policing, let alone defunding the police. Some systemic problems in the police and the police department need to be addressed. There's too much militarization of the police. Uh, there is uh, there are a variety of other systemic problems, not systemic racism, but systemic problems. But I think by and large, we want more policing in the inner city on behalf of the people who are living there.
1: Charles, uh, we're talking to Charles Murray. His book is Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. Charles, a lot of us who do, uh, like I do, a lot of uh, substance abuse prevention work, you know, we've realized we started too late. We had to go earlier and earlier in our programming. You know, we started with 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, and we realized we're missing the boat. It's too late at that point. And I'm wondering, too, if it isn't in some respects true that way with crime prevention as well. And I wonder if that wasn't a subtle reason why your first chapter is dedicated to the American Creed. I have a I have a commercial break in well, one more short segment. Could I could I impose on you for one more segment on and talking about your why you put the American Creed as chapter one in your book? I would like a chance to talk about that. I would love that. Thank you, sir. That's very kind and generous of your time. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Dr. Charles Murray. His brand-new book is Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America, and he's going to tell us when we come back why the American creed in a book about race in America is his Chapter 1. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have with us Charles Murray. Dr. Murray has a brand new book out, Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America. We were discussing those truths, and perhaps working backwards, I want to take you to Chapter 1, Dr. Murray. The title of the chapter, The American Creed Imperiled. Tell us why you put in Chapter 1 an essay on the American Creed.
2: Because the reason I had to write the book is that the newly dominant ideology of the elites, uh, identity politics, whether you're talking about critical race theory or intersectionality or woke or whatever, is a direct repudiation of the ideals that started the country. You youngins uh, have never used in your lives the phrase American creed. That's right. In the 1950s, That's right. it was, everybody took it for granted yep. they knew what it meant. Yep. Yep. It starts with the words in the Declaration of Independence, but what it boils down to is that the great thing about America, the unique thing about America, the true immigrants here by the millions, was nobody would care who your parents were, uh, what uh, your background was, what your religion was. In the United States, you would be judged as an individual based on who you as an individual were and what you were doing. What we are now told and this came out in the protests of last summer on all the national media, is that it is not only justified to treat people as groups rather than as individuals, we are required to treat them in the name of social justice differently, with preference given to those groups that are in fashion and penalties handed out to those groups that are not in fashion. This is a direct existential threat to what has made America, America. And it has now gone so far that people are embarrassed to use the word uh, melting pot right. to talk about the ideal of colorblind because we are told those are racist concepts. If, and here's a danger, I'm going to cut to the chase sure. here. Um, it's bad that that Black public uh, intellectuals are making this case. It's bad that the New York Times and Washington Post are heavily laden with staffs who buy into this. It is going to be disastrous if whites start to say, we can play that game, too. You know, there's a saying, you can't insult somebody into agreeing with you. Yeah, right. That that hasn't really worked as far as white. That's correct. That's correct.
1: Is that some kind okay. of Stockholm syndrome, or what? What is that? Is it guilt? Is it sto- what is it? Is it intellectual Stockholm syndrome? Is it? G- it's more than guilt. I, I, I well, uh, this is my point in asking the question. I do think it is about the American creed. I think it is, for example, why they invent a year like 1619 to take us as far away from anything an understanding of 1776 could bring. Honestly, I do think that is, it is that deliberate.
2: Well, you know what, the elites feel that way. Okay that there are an awful lot of white people out there who have not behaved as racists. Right. They don't think of themselves as racist. They have colleagues at work that they respect and who they uh, are, are, are friends with. Yep. And those friendships are genuine. And now they're being told they're evil. They're the cause of all the blacks' problems. Uh, they have been uh, deliberately uh, ruining the prospects of uh, people of color and they better shape up or else. Well, blacks are 13% of the population Non-Latino Whites are 60% of the population. If a substantial portion of 60% of the population says, however, that we've had it, uh, and they start to push back using identity politics as their their, their political framework, it's all over. It's all over. Uh, We will become a country just like any other country in which the government is who can capture uh, control of the high ground and dispense goodies to their favored allies and uh, punish their opponents. Now, we have to struggle against that already, and we've had to for several years. I'm not saying things were wonderful until uh, some years ago. I am saying that if we give up the ideal of treating people as individuals of uh, the American experiment, is and I know that sounds melodramatic, but I believe it to be true. I believe that the crisis that we are in right now is qualitatively worse than anything I've experienced in my life, including the late 1960s and early 1970s, and that time is running out. So I, I believe those things in the depths of my soul. And you ask why I wrote this book. Oh, that's why I wrote
1: I would love to have you back to talk about those qualitatively worse views, because I share them, and not a lot of people do, and we'll work on that, uh, Charles. Our guest has been Charles Murray. His book, Facing Reality, Two Truths About Race in America, you can read it in a night as he promises, and you'll be a heck of a lot smarter. Dr. Murray, thank you for your time and scholarship. Thank you for everything. I appreciate that. You betcha, sir. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by my dear friend, Solar Sandy, the woman who brought integrity back to solar in Arizona. She's actually figured out how to truly zero out your power bill, if you go solar and say goodbye to the utility companies you have become accustomed to. And if you sign up with Solar Sandy now, she'll pay your power bills for one year and your solar panel payments, and you'll receive a $1,000 bonus at signing. That's right, a $1,000 bonus at signing and no solar panel or utility power bills for one year. To get started, go to AskSolarSandy.com or give her a call at 623 850 8229 that's 6238508229 or ask solar sandy.com i was just thinking a little bit <clears throat> about <clears throat> charles charles murray and his book facing reality he really has changed a lot of um, public policy in this country his uh, first major book was losing ground 1983 or 84 i think and it had a fundamental impact <clears throat> on welfare laws and welfare legislation in the Reagan administration. His his subsequent work focusing on educational freedom and choice and um, just a uh, tremendous, tremendously gifted and much maligned intellectual who is condemned on things mostly that he never wrote or said. <clears throat> he perhaps was uh, patient zero in uh, cancel culture, Charles Murray. Let me give you a concept that we can work off of as we talk about this for just a second more, if I can, and group identity, which is uh, not only something Charles takes on, but I think something taking all of us on itself, this this notion of group identity, where your race is more important than your individuality. Charles writes that the core premise of identity politics is that individuals are inescapably defined By the groups into which they were born principally by race and sex and that this understanding must shape our politics identity politics turns the American creed on its head treating people as individuals is considered immoral because it ignores our history of racism and sexism remedying America's systematic racism and omnipresent white privilege requires that people of color be treated preferentially. The power of the state not only may legitimately be used to this end; it must be so used and sweepingly. And if you thought that was violative of the Constitution, if not our founding principles or creed, then um, then uh, you you would you would be you would be sadly mistaken. And it's and it's not just fun. In the college and universities, and it's not just fun in the journalism, uh, in, the, uh, in the in the in the in uh, the in the offices of the newspapers and, and, t- and, and newsrooms across the country, and it's not just popular in Hollywood. Bill, do you have the audio of uh, from today's congressional hearing uh, with uh, Admiral Michael Gilday? Uh, Admiral Michael Gilday is uh, is the um, is the uh, the the uh, the head of the uh, uh, of the uh, of the joint staff of naval? Excuse me, he's the head of naval operations. I don't know why I'm so tug twisted today. I just am. I'm sorry. It's been one of those days. Michael Gilday, Admiral Gilday is, is head of naval operations, and was questioned today in the House of Representatives about Ibram Kendy's book being on the reading list. Of naval uh, recruits and naval academy uh, academicians, listen to this exchange. There's something very important about it. This is today. This is your head of the navy,
3: Admiral Gildy, I have to ask you about something first that I'm concerned about. Many people are, um, and a lot of people in the civilian world. I sent you a letter with two dozen people on it, concerned that you had recently added several books to the Navy's professional reading list, promoting. Critical Race Theory. And one of these books is Ibram X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist. And it argues that the entire American system is corrupted from top to bottom by racial prejudices which account for all differences in outcomes in our society. And one sentence out of that book says, the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Now, I understand that this is a voluntary reading list, but how does exposing our sailors to the idea that they are either oppressors or oppressed and that we must actively discriminate to make up for bas- past discrimination improve our Navy's readiness and lethality for great power competition?
1: You're about to hear from so the you uh, the head of the United States Navy answering as to why Ibram Kendi is a recommended book for his sailors.
4: Sir, initially you mentioned critical race theory. I'm not a theorist. I'm the chief of naval operations. What I can tell you is factually, based on a substantial amount of time talking to sailors in the fleet, there's racism in the Navy just like there's racism in our country. And the way we're going to get after it is to be honest about it, not to sweep it under the rug, and to talk about it. And that's what we're doing. And that's one of the reasons that book is on the list. doesn't mean I have any expectation that anybody... Uh, believe or or support everything that, uh, uh, that Mr. Kendi states in his book. I don't support everything that Kendi says. But the key point here is the sailors in our Navy have to be able to think critically. They have to be able to look outwardly at China and Russia, and they have to understand what those societies, why those societies are a potential danger to the United States inwardly we have to understand ourselves and we have to understand critically that we value diversity and i think okay uh,
3: admiral i agree that we should have a robust and great discussion and um, any uh, racism should be uprooted and taken away i absolutely agree and i endorse that but should we have future discrimination do you, you don't endorse that particular statement do you
4: Sir, I have to look at the context of it. I'm not trying to be evasive, but I I don't, as I mentioned, I don't support everything that Kendi asserts. I don't believe everything I read. I think that everybody has to be in a position to weigh facts from fiction. Even our sailors, they're bombarded every day by misinformation. Much of it comes from China and Russia on this issue that's getting at our national psyche. I'm trying to
3: get after it in the Navy. Okay, well, I hope that's one statement you don't... He is having sailors
1: read Ibrahim Kendi to counter propaganda from China. The propaganda from China about America is the same thing you get... From Ibram Kendi. You heard it in Alaska from the Chinese indictment of America as a racist system. I think Yilday's stupidest statement was his first one I'm not a theorist, I'm the head of the Navy. Well, if you're not a theorist and you don't think it's appropriate to engage in theoretical experimentation as the director of naval operations, why would you think your sailors should be? I'm not a theorist, I'm the director of the Navy. Are you kidding me? Then why should your sailors be? I don't understand that at all. You're telling them you need them to think critically. I suppose that's right. You do need to think critically. wonder what sailors did up until this book by Ibram Kendi came about telling us that the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. book's only about three years old. Did our sailors not think critically until they were taught racism? For all your roofing needs, check out my friends at Trades Unlimited. I not only know them well and have been down to their offices, I am a customer of theirs. I love them. They were at my house just uh, just last week. For all your roofing needs, Trades Unlimited. Tremendous quality. Tremendous service. The best. In fact, they have an A-plus rating at the BBB. They've been in business here in the Valley for going on 27 years. Just great people with a great Work Ethic and they are talking to you right now about foam roofs, which are great for insulation from the sun, the heat, water leaks, noise. And it's a great time for foam recoats right now too, to protect your roof before the foam beneath the coating gets compromised. Don't wait till it's too late. Call my friends over at Trades Unlimited at four eight zero four eight three one seven or visit them online at tradesunlimited.com for all your roofing needs. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. I had a feeling we might pick your interest.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine why. You know, I was going to talk about how great Charles Murray is and how I think he's sort of like the, uh, uh, maybe in your mind as well as mine, uh, sort of a Harry Jaffa-esque kind of guy. Uh, loved the interview. I think he exposes what is wrong with higher education in general and where everybody's going off track. Um, I also did a want to wish you a happy Juneteenth, or as they call it in New Jersey, a day off. Apparently, um, which I am still amazed about. We're um, not there yet.
1: Off. You're two days early. I know.
0: I'm, well, I, I like to be first. Okay. Um, wanted to talk about the trafficking too. About you know why Arizona seems to be the epicenter of whether it's the border uh, and whether uh, you know it's good to be expanded. We should have uh, her on again. Um, But really, then you brought up Admiral Gilday. Um. (laughs) I
1: gave you a lot, (laughs) didn't I?
0: Yeah, you did. Um, Naval Academy, Class of 85, recommending Ibram Kendi's book on the list of recommended reading. Uh, Again, uh, when I read, and I think it was Tom Cotton that was uh, grilling him, wasn't it?
1: In that case, it was uh, another congressman from Indiana, one I don't know, I'm sad to say.
0: Oh, no, that's fine. But I I have to tell you, uh, first of all, uh, if he was the Naval Academy Class of 85, that means he would have been 30 years in 2015, which means he would have made flag rank under Obama. And we know how that well that's worked yep. out. And yep. now, of course, yep. uh, that kind of says a lot. First of all, I want to tell America he's lying. Do me uh, this. Do me this. Work. That's a
1: big charge, and it's important. And I and I and I'm inclined to think I I know that you have the goods on this. So would you do me this favor? I have a quick interview coming up. Uh, would you hold or call back in 15 minutes? I want to. I really want to sink into this.
0: Okay. We'll do you, do. Do you I'll mind?
1: Hold. Okay. Thanks, Rob. No, not at all. Perfect. I appreciate it very okay. much. But we have a political announcement that we're going to do on this show when we come back. Don't go away. We will be right back.